The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church, and together we are going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. For more information about Stone Oak Bible Church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, good morning. I hope that your week has been, has been great. We have quite a task ahead of us this morning. Some of you who know me are going to laugh at me when I even say this, but um, so typically we, we will walk through books of the Bible together. We love doing this. Typically we like taking our time. Uh, for example, we did 1 John. It took us uh, four months, four and a half months, I think, and there's only five chapters in that little, that little book. Uh, but here's the impossible task that we're going to accomplish this morning. We are going to start and finish the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. So if you do the math, we'll be here till Thursday. I'm joking. Um, but here's why we're going to do this. Here's why we're going to look at Ecclesiastes this way. Ecclesiastes 12 chapters, by the way, it's wisdom. It is just, there are nuggets of just wisdom all throughout this book. Uh, there are proverbs in it. It's just a, it's a spectacular book. But, but here's why we're going to look at it like this in this way. Ecclesiastes, the book as a whole, tells one story, one message, one predominant theme that unifies the whole thing, and it is absolutely beautiful to see when you take it in as a whole. Uh, in other words, when you see the entire picture, then the parts of it become all the more beautiful. Uh, so my hope, my goal... Uh, is that this morning that we all walk out of this place having heard from God and his word and having an understanding of this beautiful book so that when you're in it again, when you read it again, that you can fit it in to this incredible big picture that we're going to be looking at. Um, one more thing, just all cards on the table, before studying this book, before this week, um, Ecclesiastes was one of my favorite books in the Bible. I think I've said that before. Um, as I've prepared, as I've studied, I realized something, though, that Ecclesiastes is definitely my favorite book. It is, there is something, this book challenges me. It stretches me. It centers me. Um, this book, uh, God has used in some incredible ways in my life. I'll share just one of them here in a bit. But this book is, oh, it's a good one. So having said that, I hope you're ready. We're going to jump in. Uh, together, we'll be right in the first verse. Uh, so um, one of the main reasons I love this book is because it touches every single person. Um, how many are human? It's okay to raise your hand on that one, right? Congratulations, and this book applies to you directly. There is an innate desire in us, in every single one of us, where we look for, we long for meaning, purpose, significance. It's not something that your dog deals with, it's not something that your pet fish deals with. This is something that every human being, though, 
confronts and deals with, this desire in us. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever, have you ever felt yourself asking really big questions, the um, wrestling with the why questions? Why am I here? The what questions, like what am I here for? What should I be doing with my life? These are questions that sit at the heart of every person, and these are questions that have sat at the heart of every person for ages, for ages and in ages. In fact, uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he, that's God himself, has put eternity into man's heart. That this is something that is in us. And, but here's the tension, church. Here's the tension that we're gonna feel and the tension that this book kind of sets in front of us. Let me read the whole verse of Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, um, God has placed, or uh, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Amen. But then it says, yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So God has placed this desire for us to be able to wrap our minds around eternity and the big things, yet... Yet we cannot do it. And there is the tension. Life in a fallen world. Life in a fallen world is often frustrating and confusing and trusting God and serving God, fearing God in a fallen world is often so difficult to do. I, I want to read a commentator who says it really well. I want to quote it. It says, every human being wants to find out and understand all the ways of God in the world, but he cannot because he is not God. And yet the faithful do not despair, but cling to God who deserves their trust. They can leave it to him to make sense of it all while they seek to learn what it means to fear God and keep his commandments even when they cannot see what God is doing. This is true wisdom. This is an honest book because what we're gonna find is Ecclesiastes does not just come and seek to answer and solve and fix that tension. Ecclesiastes lays it before us and then calls us to look up calls us to look up. So every person hearing this, before we read verse one, looking for meaning and purpose. Every person dealing with, anyone dealing with doubt, um, dealing with fear, dealing with big questions, unanswered questions, things in life that you just cannot understand, you cannot wrap your mind around, this book will meet us where we are. Show us, one, we're not alone, but then show us that we need to shift our perspective, and this is why I love this book. So verse one, um, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So most believe Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, uh, literally the king, uh, or the son of David, literally reigning king in Jerusalem. From my study, I believe this as well. I believe Solomon wrote this book, but there are many others who would disagree, many who would think that this was written later, um, and they have some really great points for that, but here's the reality. The author doesn't give us his name. He calls himself preacher. 
So we're going to call him that this morning. Um, the preacher says in verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. See the common word, vanity of vanities. This term appears a whopping 38 times in this book alone, uh, more than anywhere else in the Bible put together. This is the, the preacher's favorite term. This is the way, uh, I'll put it like this. In order to understand this book, we need to understand this word because he uses it all the time. And in order to understand this word, I want to give you three kind of facets of this word. And it's really important that we wrap our mind around this, and we'll go quickly because I want to get somewhere, but in order for us to lay a foundation, let's look at this word. I want to look at three dimensions of this word. The first one is that vanity is fleeting. I want you to picture like uh, a vapor that you're trying to grab. It's right there, but you can't grab it. It slips through your fingers. It's a breath. It's a, it's a vapor. It's a mist. That's the term that, that is used here for vanity. We see it in Psalm 39, verse 5. It says, Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. This word here in Psalms that's translated as mere breath is the same word that's translated in Ecclesiastes as vanity. It's a vapor. It's fleeting. You, we can't catch it. That's vanity. Secondly, vanity is worthless. Uh, vanity is worthless. We use this term, the Bible uses this term to describe something's worth. We see this in Jeremiah 16, 19. Um, it says, O Lord, my strength, my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. This term worthless is, that's translated here as worthless in, in Jeremiah is the term in Ecclesiastes that is translated Vanity. So vanity here, it, it's worthless, it's fleeting. And then thirdly, to understand this word, thirdly, vanity is idolatry. The, the term vanity is also translated in our Bibles as idol. So we see this in, in Jeremiah 10.8 that said, they are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Okay, so idols here, that word, same thing. That word that's translated as idols in Jeremiah is the term in Ecclesiastes that means vanity. It's all of the things that we seek to place our trust in, to worship, that is not God and not eternal. Um, so here, here's what we see. I want you to see the magnitude of this word. Um, vanity is fleeting, meaning it's temporal. It's, it's like a breath. Vanity is worthless, it's futile, it's meaningless. Vanity is idolatry, it's all the things that we pursue meaning in over our true God, vanity. But he doesn't just say vanity. He says, vanity of vanities. And he says this all the time, he repeats it, which means absolute vanity. Meaning, 
It is absolutely fleeting. It is absolutely worthless. It is absolutely idolatry. Vanity of vanities. The preacher in Ecclesiastes looks at life under the sun and he calls out things as being vanity of vanities. So here's what I want us to do with the first part of our time. I want us to follow through and see all the things that the preacher calls vanity. And I want us to, I think we're gonna see something as we do this because um, what we heard, the scripture that was read this morning, there's nothing new under the sun. Oh, that's true. When, when, when we read these things, we're gonna realize, whew, this applies. Now I wanna look at some of the things that the preacher brings out. So the first one we see actually in the first chapter, if you go to verse 13, Verse 13, what we're gonna see is the vanity of philosophy, philosophical wisdom. He says, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's pretty clear. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. You feel that fleeting Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. And I said in my heart, verse 16, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem, who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart had, has had great experience in wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this, is also, this also is but striving after the wind. We see that the pursuit of wisdom as our source of meaning and identity and fulfillment is will lead us to nothing is vanity of vanities. So we have ages and ages of philosophers who have come before us, who have devoted their lives to understanding, to knowledge, to knowing more and more and more, but yet there is no fulfillment in that. There's no eternal value in that. Ecclesiastes says vanity. It is a vanity, meaning it is fleeting, it is worthless, and it is idolatry. Vanity of vanities. Chapter two, we move from wisdom to self-indulgence and pleasure. Listen to this. I said in my heart, verse one, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Vanity. So whether it be laughter, food, drink, um, whether it be things, your riches, pleasures, you just give yourself to it. And this, the preacher says, I've done that vanity of vanities. He's describing hedonism in a way here, living a life with no boundaries, just letting it loose, right? This is what he's describing here. And he says, I did this, I did that, and then in verse nine, I became great, I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, I kept nothing from myself. And then he says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had experienced in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. 
again, like philosophic wisdom, when we pursue that as our end all, be all, our meaning, our life, our fulfillment, when we pursue pleasures, when we give ourselves to satisfying every pleasure that we might have, every longing we might have, it is empty, vanity of vanities, meaning it is absolutely fleeting, absolutely worthless, and absolute idolatry. And yet again, there's nothing new under the sun. How many times have we organized our life with pleasure as our true north, our true grid, vanity of vanity, pursuing things, experiences, pleasure. He says vanity. Next, verses 12 through 17, he looks at wisdom again. This time it's not philosophical, though. It's practical. It's practical, wise living. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what can man do who comes after the king? All, only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than folly, as there is more gain in light than darkness, than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool hap will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? If it leads me to the same place, right? Why then have I been so very wise? Then I said in my heart, that this is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that the days to come will have been long forgotten. Do you feel it? Do you hear it? It's vanity, pursuit of being wise in life. Some of you are like, that's a good thing, right? Pursuing that as your meaning, being a really good and wise person, pursuing that will lead you to nothing. Empty, fleeting, worthless idolatry. Then, as if that didn't hit close to home, now we're looking at work. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. That's, that's an amazing thought. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Uh, I, love, I love that. Yet he will be the master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So did you hear that? We work, we work, we work, and yet it is not eternal because it's just going to be left to the next guy. Hope he does it well. Hope he, hope he gets it right. It is fleeting. It is worthless. It is idol. It, it makes a lousy idol. A really lousy idol. But yet, how many times do we pursue this as our ultimate source of fulfillment, meaning, identity, how often is this our drive? Ecclesiastes, the preacher, looks at this and says, I've done this. Vanity. Vanity. It is worthless. It is fleeting. And it makes a lousy, lousy idol. Let's look at another one that hits close to home. This time in chapter 5. Let's look at verse 10. 
He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. So let's shift to wealth. Let's shift this to, that's really simply put, um, the pursuit of money, church, as our source of fulfillment, identity, meaning, purpose, is empty, fleeting, worthless, and it is such an incredibly lousy idol. Vanity of vanities. Yet how often, church, do we catch ourselves pursuing the very same things the preacher looks at here? How often do we, how many lives have been devoured by this pursuit? How many, uh, and let's not even talk about out there, how many of our lives, how often have we been dominated by this pursuit, the pursuit of money as our fulfillment, as our status, as our meaning, vanity. So Ecclesiastes, the preacher here looks at wisdom and folly, riches, poverty, looks at pleasure, life, death, looks at just the whole gamut, the whole spectrum of our lives, and he takes it all in. He takes it all in, and he, he looks at all of the things that we pursue in order to find our meaning, our place, our fulfillment. He looks at it all, all of the things under the sun, and he says, vanity of vanities. And here's one of the interesting things about this book. It's one of the things that confuses readers and frustrates interpreters sometimes. But as you notice, this includes, this list includes both good and bad things, right? So it's not just the sin, the hedonism, the materialism that we're like, amen, vanity, right? He also shifts to wisdom, like wise living, working. That's awesome, right? Um, people, all of it, vanity of vanities. Here's the point. Everything under the sun, everything under the sun, whether good or bad, all of the good and the bad make, makes really lousy and subpar gods. Everything under the sun, whether it be good, whether it be bad, it is a lousy God. Lousy God. And he calls us out so to pursue any of it, to pursue any of that as your purpose for eternity, for significance, for meaning, to pursue any of that will leave you with nothing. It will leave you empty because it is vanity, fleeting like the wind, worthless idolatry. As we read this, we have to ask then, is this a letter of complete despair? I've heard some people who really don't like this book because they're like, I get depressed when I read this book. And you're just not reading it right, right? <laughs> this is, does this letter, does this book call us to just throw our hands up and say, I give up? If it all means nothing, what, what's, what's the use? Church, um, it's exactly opposite. It's exactly opposite. Ecclesiastes does not say that we have no purpose, no meaning, no fulfillment. Um, it just says that you're looking for it in the wrong place. It just says that you're looking for it under the sun. It just says that where you're looking, you will never find it. You need to look above the sun, the maker of the sun. You've got to look up. And Ecclesiastes says it repeatedly, but I wanna read, I think, the most clear articulation of it in Ecclesiastes as he closes. So in chapter 12, verse 13, it says... 
the end of the matter. All has been heard. There, here it comes. Conclusion, right? He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Look up, fear the Lord, do what he says, and you will find your purpose, you will find fulfillment, you will find meaning in that. There is a God, but it's, he is not in the things under the sun that we like to fill our lives pursuing. Look up, look up, but here's the problem. You and I live under the sun. You and I live, we, we live under the suns. We, li- we live our lives here. We deal, deal with wealth and poverty. We deal with sickness. We deal with uh, wisdom and confusion, people, work, pleasure. We live here. We live here. Are you telling me that everything here is meaningless? Everything here is pointless. Is that what this book is about? I want you to hear me. If you've heard nothing Hear me here. When we stop making gods out of our things, when we stop that, we can truly start to enjoy them for what they are. When we stop making the things of this world into something that they are not and were never intended to be, then we can truly start to enjoy them for the glory of God. When we get that backwards, it leads to nothing. It leads to nothing. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, children. Having a baby. Um, that baby is a beautiful, spectacular gift from God. But that baby makes a very lousy God. Just think about your spouse. Again, beautiful gift from God. Some of you are like, you haven't met them, But a beautiful gift of God until you start to worship them like they are God. Let me think of another one, money. Money. So when we pursue wealth and fulfillment, we're left to nothing. However, when we pursue Christ, as Ecclesiastes says, fearing God and keeping his commandments, then we use our money. And there is such fulfillment in that church. When we're stewards, there's such fulfillment in that. See, our our babies, they're gifts from God. Our spouses are gifts from God. Our money, our resources, that's just tools from God. But all of those things make very lousy gods. They make lousy gods. We've got to look up. And I wanted to give you um, another example, Uh, this time a, a personal one. Uh, there are a few times in my life where I can look back on, I call them keystone moments, where um, God spoke in a way that completely changed my trajectory, my, completely changed my heart and my life. And one of those moments happened to me in February of 2015, um, My family and I had moved back about a year prior to this, a little over, to start the work of planting this church. And uh, it was such an exciting time. The work had begun. We we started to see people gathering together. Uh, We started uh, to see some of the finances coming together. You don't know if that's going to happen. So when that starts to come together, you start seeing God move and bring people. It was just 
we started to see leaders stepping up. Um, things felt like they were moving fast. And we could step back. I remember stepping back and just seeing God's hand all, all over it, just seeing God, God move. So we launched, Stone Oak Bible Church launched in March of 2015. So this is a, a launch at this point was a little over a month away. Um, and in all of the excitement and vision, I remember there was, there was a, I was dealing with a lot. Um, and thoughts began to just kind of flood my mind. And, and I was just thinking, like, what if I pour myself into this? I mean, give it everything. Just dive in and, and pour myself into this. And it fails. Like, what if I'm just terrible at this? What if, what if it just kills? What if I never see Stone Oak Bible Church become the church that I was so burdened to see? Like, what if, what if after all of this, I just, it just fails? In my mind, I was thinking, like, you know, when, when someone starts a business and it goes under, that's, that's one thing. You can walk away, move to the next one. But I was starting to feel this, like, but I, I, this is a church. These are people, there's, there's a calling associated with this, like, it just felt heavy. Plus, plus, um, at this stage, I walk beside, I, I've walked beside many pastors and churches who have indeed closed their doors. And um, I have seen several pastors and people who have struggled to recover. And all of this in February was just, it felt like I was being crushed. I just, it, it was crushing. Um, and I wrestled with, with this thought of what if I fail? And to make matters worse, like in that stage, there's all these benchmarks that you're supposed to be like, comparing yourself to. And like, am I where I need to be? Am I measuring up? Are we where we need to be? Are we going to be okay? And all of these things, just fear had just crept into my heart. And I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord that Ecclesiastes talks about and Chapter 12, it wasn't that fear. It was quite a different fear. And I remember just being, just being crushed of this fear of the unknown. And I remember one evening, I was wrestling with this uh, strongly. And um, I did what, I, the only thing I knew to do, which was to get my running shoes and to go on a very long run. This is the way I clear my mind. And so I did it, and I remember just praying, thinking, listening the whole way wrestling with what I knew in my head and what I felt in my heart, just wrestling, just, I remember the spot, I remember the temperature, I remember the hill, I remember the view. Um, when I felt the Lord say to me, what happens if you fail? Do you know what's gonna happen if you were to fail at this completely and fall on your face? Do you know what's gonna happen? And I remember when no one comes, when no one cares, when no one sees the vision, you know what's going to happen when two years down the road, three years down the road, a year down the road, everything's done and you're moving on. Do you know what's going to happen? And I remember stopping running at this point and looking ahead. And, and we live where there's hills and it makes for some beautiful sunsets. And I remember stopping and looking at the view of this sunset in front of me. And I remember hearing this. 
the sun is gonna rise, the sun is gonna set, I will be here, I will be God, and you will be mine. And I remember it didn't end there because I remember the Lord speaking again to me and he says, you know what? You know what's gonna happen if you quote unquote succeed? When Stone Oak Bible becomes what you see in your mind, if, if, if Stone Oak Bible becomes a place where people hear the gospel and are radically changed by the gospel, if God were to use Stone Oak Bible to impact lives for the kingdom, if that happens, do you know what would happen? The sun will rise, the sun will set, I will be God and you will be mine. It was in this moment that just ministry makes a really lousy God. It disappoints you every time. And I just remember, Justin, look up. And this moment has, has absolutely marked me. I got home, and um, the, the second leg of the run, I felt so much lighter. Like, I bet my time was through the roof on that second leg. I just felt like a weight had been just lifted off of me. I remember getting home, writing it down. I still have the journal that I wrote in. And I remember immediately starting to read Ecclesiastes. Immediately starting to read right in chapter one. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down, hastens to the place where it rises. Church, Ecclesiastes is a book about perspective. It is a book about perspective because there is joy in the toil. There is joy, but it's not the end in and of itself. There is joy in the toil, but if our purpose and our fulfillment is in anything other than Christ, it leads us to emptiness because all of those things make lousy, lousy idols. Here's what Ecclesiastes does. It calls us to do three things, and I want us to kind of finish with this. Um, the first one, as I said, Ecclesiastes calls us to look up. As we toil under the sun, as we live our lives under the sun, as we um, pursue life and that we look up, that we look up. For me, it was stop looking around in comparison, stop looking around at everything around you, stop measuring yourself to all the phony things you measure yourself up to, and look up and realize your identity in me. Look up, see the bigger picture. Look up as followers of Christ. We are his, we belong to him in life and in death, in success and in failure, in all of the ups and downs, in health and in sickness. Look up, we are his. Ecclesiastes calls us to look up. Second, Ecclesiastes calls us to repentance. Um, church, in what ways have you pursued meaning outside of Jesus Christ? In what ways have you searched for fulfillment and purpose and outside of him? What are the things that you have tried to make God? What are these things? For me, ministry was becoming that. What in your life have you elevated to that? For some of you, it's not ministry. For some of you, it might be your family. 
For some of you, it might be your work. It might be your, your money, your house, your intellect, your status, whatever it might be under the sun. What is it? Because all of those things make really lousy gods, just as lousy as ministry is, I promise you. All of these things make incredibly lousy gods, and Ecclesiastes calls us to take an inventory of our life. Right now, just to take an inventory of where we are, who we are, look at our hearts, do an examination of our hearts, and church to repent. To repent, to come to him and say, Lord, I am sorry. I am turning to my money, my stuff, my family, my intellect, whatever it is. I'm turning to these things to find my value and my purpose. Help me look up, and I repent for looking down. It is vanity, all is fleeting and worthless and idolatry, and I repent, Lord. So Ecclesiastes calls us to look up, and as we look up, we take an inventory of our lives, and then we, it, it, he calls us to repent, to repent. And then lastly, Ecclesiastes calls us to Christ. Now, um, I want you to think about something with me. Maybe you've ne- never thought about this in Ecclesiastes um, before, but do you remember back in the garden when God created all things out of nothing? Do you remember what he said about all things? It is good. 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 It is very good, right? It is good. In this moment, in Genesis 1 and 2, everything under the sun was good. It was all good under the sun. Now, think ahead with me to the end of all times, the end of all things, when Jesus returns, judges, brings the kingdom, a new kingdom, kingdom of God comes down completely realized. And once again, church, all will be good under the sun. All of it will be good under the sun. Ecclesiastes is what bridges these two realities. Ecclesiastes uh, stands in between. It was all good. It will be all good. Ecclesiastes says, here's what we do in the middle. Here's what we do between these two realities. In this fallen world, Ecclesiastes stands as this timeless truth for how we navigate this. Um, This timeless truth, because here's the reality. Our only hope in life, in life under the sun, our only hope is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. You have been bought with a price. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. And knowing that you would struggle with life under the sun, knowing that you would never be able to find your way to him, Jesus found his way to you. See, between the two, we're not left alone. This is why Ecclesiastes points us to Christ. Um, It is only through the cross of Christ that we have hope in this life. It is only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we are able to look up. For ages, for ages, humans have searched for meaning and purpose through all kinds of things, all kinds of things. And Ecclesiastes 
reminds us that nothing is going to be able to satisfy you. Nothing. Don't think that that you're the only human being in the world who has ever lived who is going to unlock the way to find meaning. It's been done. There is nothing new under the sun. It has all been done. And do you know what the conclusion of all things is? Fear the Lord and do what he says. Fear the Lord. Do what he says. The only satisfaction that we have, the only thing that is eternal, that will never go away, will never fade, is Jesus Christ. I want to read this to you as we close. John 10. You don't have to turn with me here. Uh, John 10, verse 27. We'll start there. Jesus is walking in Solomon's temple, the preacher's temple. He's, he's walking. It was during a feast. It was called the Feast of Dedication, and he was talking to several Jewish people around him and, and listen to his words. Um, Jesus speaking in Solomon's temple colonnade, speaking truth to them and shattering any idea of vanity. Listen to this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is saying, you know in your heart how you're longing for eternity. It is satisfied perfectly and completely in me. Vanity is fleeting and worthless, but what I give to you is eternal It is eternal. It will never perish and nothing can steal it. And then listen to verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I am the father are one. Church, do you hear it? Our hearts long for what is eternal. And Jesus says, hey, I give you eternity And then our hearts long to worship something. We long to worship things, stuff. And as Ecclesiastes says, it's all vanity. But then Jesus says, not only do I satisfy your desire for eternity perfectly and completely, but in me, your heart's longing to worship is satisfied completely and perfectly because the Father, God the Father, is greater than them all. Here is my point, church. Ecclesiastes sets before us our most basic need as people. Our longings for purpose, our cravings for what is eternal and meaning. Ecclesiastes then sets before us our heart's tendencies to try to meet these things with lesser things. To pursue work, money, wisdom, just to pursue stuff. And then Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanities. The pursuit of that is absolutely fleeting, absolutely worthless, absolute idolatry. And then it calls us to look up, to fear God and to obey him. Look up, fear God, obey him, repent, and look to Christ who created you with your heart's longings so that he could fulfill them perfectly and completely. Church, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Ecclesiastes. God, you are so good. 
you are so good. And I just pray that you would forgive me, that you would forgive us when we run to other things as our, as our God, as our meaning, as our purpose, as our fulfillment, when we pursue all these things, I just pray for your forgiveness. And I thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ to live the life that I could not live, to die the death that I deserve, and God, to give me life eternally through him, that it never ends, and that nothing and no one can snatch us out of your hand because of the work of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this reality and for everyone here in this room. God, as we wrestle with this, I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds to who you are, the reality of what you have done. God, you are so good. Show us how we can follow you better. Show us how we can fear you and obey what you say. Show us how we can look above the sun as we serve you and always under the sun. God, walk with us from this place. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I am so grateful. After I finish that, I just feel like, Maybe we need to go verse by verse through this like some other time. But...